Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. I want to talk about communion. We're going to, we're going to receive communion this morning. Uh, depending on your background, you may have come from a different uh, different type of church. There's, you know, different churches refer to it as different things. Some, some churches, the high church calls it Eucharist. Uh, it's called the Lord's Supper. It's called communion. Uh, but it really is a covenant meal that we partake together. And uh, Jesus instituted it, kind of replaced the Passover. He was eating the Passover with his disciples, but then he said to them, uh, that, that you will take this in remembrance of me whenever you take it. And so he established this new meal, the Lord's Supper, and we partake in it. And, uh, and we're going to do that today. But I want us to understand what we're doing before we do it. I don't want us just to, to do it as some kind of ritual, because it's more than that. It's, it, there's a symbolic, prophetic act. And uh, there's a difference between symbolism and, and, and a prophetic act. Symbolism simply signifies something. It's kind of a teaching lesson. Prophetic acts literally release a reality into our life. And uh, communion is both. Now, the word communion is a compound word. It comes from common union. And the idea is that our common union together is in the Lord. And so we enter into this, we partake of it together. Now, some people do often practice... uh, the Lord's Supper alone, and that's a wonderful thing. That's a, it's, it is a, it's a valuable thing. It's, uh, it'd be very productive for you to do so. But there's an element of that that you need to also take it with other believers because we're entering into our common union. It signifies what brings us together. Our common union is Jesus. I remember years ago, I, I worked for Teen Challenge for 14 years, and we got all kinds of characters in there. I was one of them. And uh, we had, I remember this one guy, he was a deadhead from Nebraska. You know what a deadhead is? He, 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 he had gone to almost every deadhead concert during his lifetime. When Jerry Garcia died, he wore a three-piece suit three days for mourning. And finally we said, get rid of the suit, okay? And, uh, but he was, he was a deadhead from Nebraska. And then there was a cowboy from California. These guys... They were two totally different dudes, I'm telling you. And it always struck me, I would have thought the cowboy would have been from Nebraska and the deadhead from California, but no. You know, there, it was the other way around. And I remember they got in this big argument one day in the hallway, and it just it tickled me. I thought, the only way these guys would ever have anything to do with each other is Jesus. They would have never, you know, here they are, they're brothers now, and they're arguing, and, and uh, Jesus will bring us together. And you look around the room, some of us would have never hung around each other. Especially if you'd have seen us before Jesus. You know, some of us, we'd have called the cops when we walked in the door. It, uh, but Jesus brings us all together. And it's more than just a relationship. Like, how oh, we go to church together. There is a deep bond, a unity that we share because Jesus is in you and he's in me. And we are part of the body of Christ. And I cannot experience the fullness of Christ without you. I need your portion to be put with my portion. It's a beautiful thing. And so communion is one of the ways in which we honor that reality. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he talks when he's talking about the Lord's Supper, he said some people take it and they, they end up sick. 
and some even sleep. The reason is because people are violating that principle of the body. They're living in disunity. They're living in gossip. They're li- they've broken covenant with one another. They're living in sin, but yet they partake of communion. It's a serious thing. We need to honor this thing. That the fear of the Lord needs to be on us when we partake of communion. It's an amazing thing that God takes people from all these different backgrounds, and intentionally so. God is a God of variety. If you look around the room, you can see that. God takes all these people from all different backgrounds, and then He puts, He binds us together with this thing called covenant and says, now live in unity together. And that's going to take a lot of work because of our backgrounds, because of how different we are. Some, sometimes even because of our baggage, we have to live in unity together. And then as we're struggling with that, all of a sudden the communion cup comes along. And he says, recognize the body. What he's saying is not recognize Jesus' body on the cross. Recognizing the body of Christ amongst us. And so it's, it's a safeguard to almost a stopgap measure for us to get things right in our heart and to maintain unity, excuse me, in the body of Christ. Does that make sense? And so it's a very important thing for us to understand. Now, I alluded to this. I said that communion is a covenant meal. Now, covenant is not something we're very familiar with in this day and age, not, at least not in the Western world. Still in the, the Eastern world somewhat, but we've lost We've really lost the sight of what covenant really means. Now, we do have one remaining covenant that's still prominent in our culture, and that is marriage. Marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. That's why it's insulting when you sign a prenup, because it's saying it's a safeguard in case I don't want to keep you around, or you don't want to keep me around. Well, don't get married. If you have doubts, don't get married. Okay? Contracts are created precisely because people don't trust each other. That's the purpose of a contract. I want to do dealings with you, but I don't really trust you to hold up your end of the deal. So I want to bring in a legal document so that the judge can step in and enforce you to do this. That's the idea of a contract. A covenant is based on trust. But it's not just based on trust. It actually elicits or cultivates trust. That's the purpose of it. That's, the, sec- that, that's the, the secondary purpose. It's the means to the end. The ultimate purpose of a, con- of a covenant is this. To take two and make them one. To take two people and bind them together. Two tribes and make them one. Two families and make them one. That is the idea of a covenant. That's why, you know, my wife and I, the two became one. We are one flesh. Now we think alike and we, you know, I, I even like furniture now, you know. I mean, it's embarrassing. I, I, I know Queen Anne furniture and, and all that stuff. Why? Because I'm married to her and I care about it because she does. So I, I've picked up all kinds of interests, you know. It, uh, I told her this week, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn to cook. You know what I've been doing? By the way, this is a little rabbit trail side issue. I, I, when I've had a few spare minutes from here to there, I turn on Netflix and watch cooking shows this week. Oh, man. They can do some amazing thing with citrus and meat. Hallelujah. So I'm going to learn. Now, I don't know if this motivation to learn to cook is going to be as strong tomorrow, because I'm going to break my fast tonight. 
But today, I just feel really motivated, man. I even looked up cooking knives, you know. I was looking at, you know, I'm thinking Ty can mentor me. Uh, back, to our, uh, back to our scheduled program here. It, uh, you see, covenant makes two people one. That is the idea. So that's the ultimate objective of covenant. That's what it's to secure. But this, the, the means to the end that covenant serves is how do you make two people one voluntarily? You have to create trust between those two individuals. Because you are not going to give yourself completely to somebody unless you can trust them. Amen? And if you do, you're crazy. Matter of fact, if you give yourself to people you don't trust, call Laura we'll have a counseling session. Because you have bad boundaries and a bad self-image and it's not going to work out well for you. We, all, we, we need to... Trust is extended to the amount of truth. And if you are extending your trust to someone who's not walking in truth, you are, that's a recipe for tremendous pain. And so covenant works to create trust in order that it can get to the primary purpose, to make two people one, that we will voluntarily surrender ourselves to another so that two people can become one. They can be bonded. Or two tribes can become one. Or two groups of people can become one. Covenant is an ancient ideal. It's, it goes way back to the beginning of time. The first covenant that was cut was when Adam and Eve sinned. And God, they came out with a little leafy outfit on. And God, it doesn't say God uh, killed an animal, but he had to kill an animal to take its skin and cover their nakedness. That was the first covenant. There had to be the death of something to cover them so that they could still be in relationship with God. And we see this, this revelation of covenant grow throughout Scripture until finally it culminates in the ultimate covenant of Jesus hanging on the cross. But again, we need to understand the purpose of covenant is to make two one. And it, it does that by creating trust between those two individuals. You can put it this way. Covenant solves two problems that two people have <laughs> with two answers. Okay, The two people are God and man. God has an issue, and we have an issue when it comes to sin. And covenant satisfies both. God's problem with sinful man was that there was legal guilt. And God, being just, couldn't just turn the other way. The scales had to be balanced. You see Lady Justice at our courthouses. She has a blindfold and she's holding scales and she's balancing the scales. In other words, justice is blind. We're going to make sure that this sin is atoned for and, and justice has to be served. God is just. His throne is created on justice. But God is also merciful. So there's this dilemma. It's, it's, it's a beautiful story when you get back into eternity and how God reconciled within His own heart His justice and His mercy. What would He do? His justice demanded that sin, the price of sin, be paid for. He told Adam and Eve in the garden, The soul that sins shall surely die. And justice demanded blood. 
Because the life is in the blood. Life, life had to be poured out, an innocent life. But yet God is merciful. Matter of fact, Isaiah goes as far to call, as to call God's judgment his alien act. I love that. It's saying that when God does judge, and he does still judge, when God does judge, it's almost alien to who he is. It is a part of his nature, but he is not willing that any should perish. Some translations call it his strange act. We need to understand the God we serve, his go-to, his his first uh, uh, go-to behavior is not judgment, but mercy. So God had to figure out, man must die. Man has sinned, man must die. And so his solution was, I will become that man. Therefore, you and I could be let off the hook. So that took care of legal guilt. Jesus poured out his lifeblood in our stead. He was made sin, Paul tells us, and crucified so that you and I could be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Legal guilt is taken care of, and that's a wonderful thing. And justice demanded that, and that's a huge issue. It's a huge theological issue, a a huge part of reality. And God solved that problem at Calvary. And you and I won't appreciate that unless we understand the dilemma you and I were in. We were on our way to hell and we deserved it. But God stepped in our path and gave His Son for our sin. His Son willingly laid down His life to do it. So that takes care of legal guilt. But there was this other problem, this other person, and that's you and I, humanity. There was a divine problem, there was a human problem. Divine problem was legal guilt. That needed to be taken care of through the justice of God. And God satisfied His justice with His mercy by giving His Son. But then we have this human problem. And the human problem is psychological guilt. And it's also this lack of trust we had in God because of, from the fall. You can look back in the, the, the first few chapters of Scripture. And you have Adam and Eve in paradise. I mean, they got it made. It's beautiful. The, all the, the fruit they could eat. They, this beautiful paradise. And they were the guardians of the garden. They were to cultivate it with the idea that they would be faithful with little and be made faithful, faithful over much. And eventually they would steward the entire earth. But we know that's not what happened. Adam and Eve were enticed into sin. Any of you remember the singer Don Francisco? Raise your hand. Remember that? Some of you old hippies, you know, that Don Francisco. He had some, he was an old Jesus people singer way back in the day, back in the 70s, and he had some great songs. Uh, but the, the song that just haunts me sometimes when I think of the, the story of the fall and of sin in the garden was this song he had called Adam, Where Are You? Any of you remember that? And it was a beautiful little, you know, acoustic tune and uh, just a little, you know, kind of a happy little tune. It was talking about God created an Adam and Eve and they, they lived in the garden in fellowship with him and they had everything that they needed. And then they fell into sin. And all of a sudden, Adam and Eve realized they were naked. And even with their leafy, uh, you know, their leafy dress that they formed for themselves, they still hid from God. And God asked why. And he, they said, because we knew we were naked. 
You see, they were talking about a nakedness that was deeper than something that clothing could cover. There was a nakedness in their soul. Something had been laid bare. And there was a rift, this communion, this fellowship that they had with God. We don't even understand exactly what was going on. But we know that scripture says that they would hear him coming in the cool of the day. Is that amazing or what? You want to talk about an encounter, but this was the norm for them. I don't know how God comes through the glen, you know, comes rustling through the trees. I don't know what that looked like, but they were in such intimate communion with God. Many theologians believe that they were clothed in light and the glory that they were carrying out of their relationship with God, fulfilling who they really were. And all of a sudden, when they ate the apple, it's like they, the, the glory lifted and they realized that they were naked. And it says they were ashamed. And you see in this story, they're hiding from God. There was this rift, this, this rift that came with God. Well, what, what, what was it that caused them to step over the line and take the fruit? There were two simultaneous lies that Adam and Eve had to accept. And you and I need to thoroughly understand this. Because if we don't understand this, we won't see the fall completely unraveled in our own personal lives. There were two lies. The snake slithered up to Eve and he said, did God really say? He questioned the word of God. And she came back. She was solid on what he said. Matter of fact, she even added to it. She said, God said we're not to eat it or even touch it. And then he said, yeah. He began to cause a question as to God's motives. Yeah, the reason God said that is because He doesn't want you to touch what He has. He's trying to keep you in the dark, Eve. He's trying to keep the good stuff from you. There's all kinds of knowledge and experience. And you think God's looking out for your good, but what He's really doing is He's trying to keep the good stuff from you. And then... There was a secondary, more subtle lie. And that lie was a lie about Eve herself. Eve, you're not good enough. You need to eat this apple. You need to eat the fruit so that you, will, you too will be enlightened. And with that, we had introduced these two simultaneous lies. A lie about God and a lie about man. The lie about God is he can't be trusted. And the lie about ourselves is we're not good enough. And every one of us have struggled with those two lies from that time till now to varying degrees. Now, good parenting can, can somewhat uh, deal with some of those things. But the fact is, it's deeper than good parenting. It is a, it is a nakedness of the soul where we, in, we imbibed a lie. We swallowed a lie and it is part of the genetic fallen code of man. And we needed to be redeemed from that. And when we get saved, it doesn't mean all of that is taken care of. When we accept Jesus, we begin the journey. See, when you and I got saved, we come in and the, 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 uh, the legal guilt has been taken care of, but the psychological guilt, the psychological shame, and the rejection of God and ourself is not settled when we get saved. That is an ongoing process where we begin to unravel those lies and see where their tentacles have gotten into various areas of our lives and our relationships. 
And make no mistake about it, this doesn't just affect our relationship with God. It most definitely affects our relationship with one another. If I have rejected myself, it's real hard to give that part of myself that I've already rejected, that I'm ashamed of, that I'm embarrassed of, that I've, I've tried to cover up and be someone else. It's hard for me to bring that to the relationship. It causes problems in marriages. It causes problems in friendships. And so in the cross of Calvary, we're not only to be reconciled to God, we're to be reconciled to ourself. When we get saved... We get saved through the cross, and the message of the cross was this. That God is willing to go to hell and back to get you back. That He's willing to suffer horrendous pain. We were the guilty party, but He was willing to take it on Himself and suffer torture. And by that, He's saying, what more can I do to prove to you that you can trust me? Paul put it this way, if while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, how much more will he give to us good things now that we're born again? He didn't use the word born again. That's the Dave Olson translation. If God were, if he laid down his life for us when we were still his enemies, how much more now that we are his children, his sons and daughters, will he not give us all things? If you and I could enter into that reality and really grasp all that that means, we would live completely different. There would be no reservations with God. There would be no reservations in surrendering our decisions to Him. There'd be no wrestlings, but, oh God, I want to do this, I know you want me to do that. You see, God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. He knows everything. I, I don't remember where I heard it, but I heard a guy say one time that if you knew God's will is what you would do if you knew all the facts. That's good preaching. I wish it was mine, but I don't know where I got it. God's will is what you would do if you knew all the facts. God knows everything. God is all knowing. He's also all powerful. He's omnipotent. God can pull off His will. Nothing can stand in the way of God accomplishing His will in your life, except you. Because God will not force you. God will not force you to do His will. Now, there are times where it feels that way. Man, when I was running from God, it felt like I was being forced into a corner. I'm so grateful He did it. But he, he, he cornered me with the fists of angry cowboys one night. <laughs> a bunch of cowboys jumped us. And uh, yahoo. And uh, when they drove off, my nose was on my cheek. And uh, yeah, it was. And I woke up the next morning and thought, oh man. It, then I got my new nose. I had a little cast, had people sign it, Wanda, you know, all these. <laughs> And uh, so I got it taken off that day, and I went to a glasses place and got new glasses. Figured they'll never see me again. <laughs> and that night, I just got my new nose. That night, a buddy of mine shoved me. We were, we were all drunk, and I, my face slammed on the pavement, shattered my nose all over my face, my new glasses. And I woke up in the home of this 
guy that was into witchcraft. I don't even know how I got there. And it was Sunday morning, and I, I was feeling bad. <laughs> and I, my face hurt, and I reached up and touched my face, and I, face, and I thought, oh, no. I looked, and there were my mango glasses. And the first thought that entered my mind, I should be in church. That was the Holy Spirit. And it was a matter of weeks. I was in Teen Challenge, and the rest is history. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so grateful. Now, I still had a choice. <laughs> but God, I'm convinced. Now, now those guys, those, those guys that jumped us, they, they were not believers, believe me. Uh, but I'm, I believe they were anointed, especially the guy that got me in the nose. I believe he was, had an anointed fist. Man, God was using that. God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. Here's the real good news. He's all-loving. God knows what's best for you. He can do what's best for you. But here's the good news. He really wants to. That's right. That's right. He wants to do right by you. And when we become established in that reality, we become comfortable. We can drop our guard and say, God, just have your way in my life. Lord, wherever you want to take me, whatever you want to do with me, But that doesn't solve this other problem. What about my self-rejection? Much of our self-rejection is based on holding our past and our interpretation of ourself against ourself. And Calvary also addresses that. I used to preach years and years ago. I, I feel like I need to really pray for those who sat under my ministry years ago, I used to preach that the message of Calvary was how much God hated sin. That is not the message of Calvary. That's a, that's a sub-message. Sub he hates it because of what it does to his children. The, the message of Calvary is how much God values you. He was willing to go to hell and back to redeem that which he has placed value on. And God wants to reconcile you to yourself. He wants to heal you. And in covenant, in the, the, the crucifixion of Jesus, there's two messages. God loves you and you're lovable. You are lovable. God didn't make a mistake. When he made you, he made you with a purpose. And he's still, I love that word that Ray gave this morning. I wish I'd have wrote it down, Ray. That was so powerful. But he said something to the effect of God can take everything that, that happened in your past up until now. And, and you know what? Your past is not just pre-Jesus. I've been walking with Jesus 36 years this year. It's, my, you know, it's not just my past up until I got saved in 83. It's my past as in yesterday. It's my past all through my walking with Jesus and my not walking with Jesus. And, and Ray said, from the, it was a word from the Lord that God will take all of that and weave that into a beautiful picture of the future. Because God is the God of the past. He's the beginning, the alpha. And he's the God of the future, the omega. And he's going to wrap it all together if we surrender it to him and give us something beautiful. And so we need to get that in our spirit. You are lovable. Now, okay, guys, I know that might sound a little uncomfortable. You know, this guy up here telling you, you're lovable. But you need to know it. We need to get that in our spirit. 
So, we have covenant, and we're going to partake of communion in a few moments. Matter of fact, Christopher, I'm going to have you come up and, and do this in just a few moments if you want to prepare yourself. But we're, we're, uh, we're going to go into communion, and we need to understand that this is a covenant meal. The purpose of it is that to make the two one, and the way that happens is by developing trust between two people. So that's why when we get married... There's a lot of symbolisms in marriage. A lot of times, you know, and this is the older weddings especially, they would have the husband's or the, the groom's family on one side, the bride's family on the other side, remember that? And then they would walk down the aisle, and then they would take the vows of the covenant, and, uh, and then they would, he would lift the veil and kiss, and then they'd throw rice. All of that has has covenantal uh, meaning, okay? The reason they had the groom and the bride's families on one side is because it was the merging of two families, and it was that idea of walking between the pieces. You see, in ancient culture, one, uh, a very common uh, practice in cutting covenant is they would take an animal, a sacrificial animal, they would cut it into four quarters, the front quarters and the hind quarters, and they would lay it out in four pieces, and the I know this is gross, but hey, we're, we just need to go into it. That The blood would pool between it, and the covenant participants would walk a circular eight through the pieces of the flesh. It was called walking between the pieces. And then they would stand in the middle of this slain animal, and they would make vows to one another. So when the bride and groom come down the aisle, they're walking between the families, the pieces, and they're going to now take the vows of the covenant. And the vows of the covenant were binding, and that's why they were made. It wasn't just an off-handed promise. It's, it's more serious than a covenant. I mean, a contract. If I go into a contract and break it, you can sue me. Listen to what happens with covenant. You stand and make the vows of the covenant, and they would say things like, my land is your land, and your land is now my land. If someone attacks you, they're attacking me. I will get all my men, and I will come armed to defend you. And so forth. They would go back and forth. And they would make these vows. And then the the vows would be summed up with this phrase. And if I do not fulfill my vow, so be it unto me as is done unto this animal. That was the... And then they would appeal in ancient culture to their, their numerous gods. The Jews would appeal to the Most High God. Because there is no refuge... If they've cut it, cut it with him, there is no refuge. You can't appeal to someone else for your protection. That's the idea. Why would they do something so radical? They would do it publicly so there would be witnesses. Precisely because they were trying to communicate, put themselves on the line. This is how serious I am about coming through on this matter. I will, I will give my life before I break covenant with you. And when someone entered into that type of covenant, it enabled them to drop their guard. And they knew, I can trust this individual. I don't have to hide anything. I can be me. I don't have to, I don't have to withhold anything. There doesn't have to be secrets between us. We can become one completely because of the absolute commitment of my covenantal partner. Now, real quick, let me just sum it up with this. Christopher, if you'd come on up here. We see in, in uh, Genesis, I want to say it's chapter 16, I think, uh, where God promises Abraham. He says, I'm going to give you children as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand in the sea. And, Moses, and Abraham says, God, how can this be? And the Lord said, go outside. 
And he, he says, prepare a, a sacrifice. And so Abram sets up those pieces. But Abraham refuses to go through the pieces. It doesn't say, Abraham slaughters the animal, he lays it there, but Abraham doesn't step in. Why? The reason is Abraham understood, God, I am not qualified to cut covenant with you. I know myself. I am unfaithful. I can't enter into something with you like this. Lord, I can't. And so all he does is he shoes the birds away. And he just sits there and finally he falls into a deep sleep. And all of a sudden a smoking fire pot, a furnace comes. And it begins to walk through the the pieces. And and God begins to speak to Abram about the covenant. What was that? You see, the father was telling Abram, I'm going to cut covenant with you. And all of a sudden the son shows up. We see him show up in that same form in Revelation. His feet are like burnished bronze, burning. There's fire in his eyes. He is the smoking fire pot. And what happened is the father cut covenant with the son. And the son said, I will die for this thing. And so they cut covenant together so that you and I can step in on the good of this thing. I didn't have to pay the price. Jesus already did. And what God is doing, Romans 5 puts it this way. God demonstrated His love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That word demonstrated is a key word. It was a covenantal ceremony. Jesus hanging there, the God-man, bleeding and beaten, hanging. And every word from His mouth was a word of mercy. And it was a prophetic act, a demonstration, a clear message to you and I. You can trust me. I will pay the price for you to come back in fellowship with me. That's the message of communion. And so we're going to partake in just a moment here. I'm going to ask ushers, would you come and just begin to give out the elements? And if, we would, if you would wait, if you are a believer, if you know Jesus Christ, I invite you to, to take it with us. We don't, you know, you don't have to be a member here, attend here. Uh, if you're just visiting, but you are a believer, you're welcome to take it with us. And just hold it, if you would, for a few moments, and we're going to take it together, Christopher. see the communion elements, just close your eyes and focus on the Lord. Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you for your presence here right now. We ask that you'd increase. The gospel, the message of the cross in our hearts. Your unrelenting love, your passionate pursuit of us. Holy Spirit, all over this room, we bless what you're doing. We just ask you to increase your presence. Their hearts would be so captivated by the love that you demonstrated at the cross. Jesus. The very thing that introduced sin to the planet was that Adam and Eve partook of the fruit of the wrong tree. Instead of the tree of life, 
ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then the second Adam, Jesus, comes along and he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Jesus is the the new covenant version of the tree of life. He says that his water is living water. He invites us to drink of that. He says his words are spirit and life. And then in John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. To undo the fall. We're not just abstaining from eating from the wrong fruit. We are now going to eat of the right fruit undoing the curse of the fall we wind up eating now of the tree of life the new covenant tree of life Jesus Christ himself he says of himself I am the true bread of life come down from heaven and if you want to be a partaker of me you must eat of me you must eat my flesh and drink my blood We get to literally feed on the very life of Christ. It's this invitation this morning. Number one, if you're not saved, if you've never given yourself to Jesus Christ to follow him, for him to be your Lord and Savior, this would be a perfect day to do it. Give yourself to follow Jesus. But it really is an invitation to all of us. To feed on the life of Christ. See, when I, when I take this bread or this wafer, this cracker, I'm not just putting a cracker in my mouth. I'm, I'm, it's a prophetic act that I recognize. Jesus, I come before you. And you alone have the words of life. You alone are the source of life. And in you, the fall is undone. And in you, the curse is broken. And I repent of eating from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. I don't want to eat mere knowledge of dead religion from the wrong tree. I want to feast and feed on the very life of Christ himself. You gave your body broken for me that I could be I could enter in to you that become one with you it says Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit and we become reconciled to the father so ultimately it's not about his death that was a means to an end but the goal is the life that he produces Jesus Christ is the bread of life come down from heaven I'm going to ask that if if you have sickness in your body, that you would have an expectation right now as we eat of the life of Christ, that he would produce healing in your body. I want us to go ahead and stand as we partake of this together. I want you to just put this, this bread representing his body. Just hold this out before you. The divine exchange the cross. God in his great, infinite, holy love. Treated Jesus according to what we deserved. So that in exchange, we could get what Jesus deserves. He became a condemned, rejected sinner at the cross under the judgment of God. 
so that we in turn could become beloved, righteous sons and daughters. Thank you, Jesus, that your body was broken for us so that we could be made whole and that healing could flow through us. Let us partake and eat of his body. As we get ready to take of the cup, I could ask the band, the rest of the band to make their way up here. Jesus not only said that if if we're going to follow him, we have to eat of his flesh, but we must also drink of his blood. That precious blood that was shed for us. This is what I love doing. I take the cup and I hold it up. And I not only hold it in the glorious presence of the Father, it's a reminder to myself of his covenant commitment to me. He's a covenant-keeping God. But I make sure, I let the devil know, you watching? You need to pay attention to what I'm about to do. Because this is all my righteousness right here. The blood of Jesus is what reconciles me. It's what gives me access to his holy presence. And every demon of hell that comes to torment and bring accusation has to look at what we're about to do. And we stand in the presence of a holy God and a perfect loving father. (laughs) And we have the cup. Of the blood of Jesus that washes and cleanses us from all sin. I want you to think about that for a moment. I want you to just thank him that the blood of Jesus washes you from every bit of sin. You see, it says in Ephesians 3.12 that we, we have access to come boldly before the throne of grace. And I want you to see it right now. That even... I want you to see it right now. Recognize that demons tremble at the blood of Jesus. There is victory in the blood of Jesus. Sickness and disease, demons have to bow to the blood in the name of Jesus. This is not just a little cup with some juice. There is victory in this cup. The sovereign holy God of the universe is absolutely always 100% committed to your eternal good. He's a trustworthy father. We got a good God. His mercy triumphs over judgment. His mercy triumphs over judgment. His mercy triumphed over judgment at the cross. The veil was ripped in two. And we get to drink and partake of the blood and be reconciled to the Father. And come on in to Papa's presence. 
and live in the holy place as his beloved sons and daughters of God. I'm no longer a sinner begging from the outer courts. His blood has made me a new person and I am cleansed and I have access to the Father's presence. Woo! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Let's partake of the cup of the eternal covenant of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! We thank you for the victory of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your relentless pursuit of us through every facet of our lives. God, I thank you that there is not a person in this room who has any history that you cannot redeem. God, we thank you for your blood. We thank you for the cross. I want us to just wrap this up in a celebration. I, I think... When you hear a message like this on the covenant and and we take communion, what other response is there but to give our love, our affection, our adoration back to Him? Lift up your hands right now. I thank you. We're not victims. We're not orphans. We're not beggars. We're beloved sons and daughters of the Most High God. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.